describe what would be close to the image of this lady, and they're nowhere in existence. I can't find anything that was similar. But just, I mean, one of those, like, sweet old ladies. And uh, anyway, really nice. Uh, when I say nice dress, just everything was, you know, flat, ironed. Everything was just right. And um, I get captivated because on her, she's got this old Ford Crown Vic. And the ones that we used to slam on our brace because of the troopers, the state troopers used to drive them back in the day. And but on on she had bullhorns on the sides in the back. I can't remember if they were on the top or on the back trunk. But she had these two big bullhorns going out both sides. And across it, she had a bar, uh, a wooden thing strapped, and she had it uh, strapped down with ratchet straps across her car. And on it, it says, "Jesus is coming." And, uh, and, I mean, when you run into somebody 10 o'clock at night in the gas station, nobody else is around dark, and they look real nice, and they got Jesus coming in bullhorn, I'm interested. And lo and behold, I took up this lady's time of like 45 minutes. We're talking. And I'm like, so she is on her way to California to a place called Azusa Street for a 100-year anniversary, 100-year uh, uh, revival anniversary. Azusa Street in 1906 was... It was about five people in a room meeting and praying, I believe, is uh, Bill Street or somewhere. And as they're meeting, all of a sudden they said it was like lightning bolts hit and knocked them down, literally. Knocked them down. And they, when they got came to, they got up and they started speaking in tongues. It was the birthplace of Pentecostal, of the Pentecostal movement as we still know it today. And, uh, and what happened over that time that became 50, 60. They ended up getting this old, uh, people started flooding in. The news got all over town rather quickly. It lasted up until about 1915, okay, from 1906 to about 1915. It started waning down a little bit um, because, you know, what happens, something's going good, some weird people get in, then everybody gets offended, and then they all split and start their own things, and it, it just happened. And so uh, what happened, they began that, and they were fitting literally in like a, uh, in a 3,000-square-foot shack, dirt floor, Nothing to sit on. Uh, the preacher would preach sometimes on top of two shoe boxes. I guess they must have been some sort of wood. And people, they were packing 300 to 1,200 people in there sometimes at a time. And this is going on around the clock. To put in perspective, uh, uh, 1,200 people in about a 3,000. We're in about 6,000 square feet. No, we're in uh, actually 9,000 square feet right here if you go these four walls together. And you picture putting 1,200 people <laughs> jammed up. 300 looks really thick in here, okay? 1,200 people and, and just can't get enough. And what happened, everybody was walking away and they were saying, I've been saved, I've been sanctified, and I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was going like wildfire all over town. So Azusa Street's a really big deal. And um, so this lady's going, it's the 100-year anniversary. And she is on her way to Azusa Street. And she looks like she was there at Azusa. She's got a lot of stories really close to that. I can't remember if she said she was actually there or not. I don't remember. But after about 45 minutes, I was like, where are you staying tonight? And she's like, I don't know. The Lord provide. And I was like, well, you want to come stay at my house? And I was like, right, this is before a text, you know. So Callie's at home waiting, wondering, like, what is taking Danny an hour to get milk? And so I come home, she's like, sure, you know, and it was, yeah, I don't want to bother, but, you know, she come, and I remember I opened the door, and I stuck my head in, I was like, let me go ahead and tell my wife real quick, I got to let her know what's going on, and so I run inside, I was like, Callie, um, I brought a lady home, 
And she's like, do what? I was like, can she stay the night? She's really, she's really old. She's really sweet. And she's full of Jesus. And I, I didn't know what else to do. And she's like, oh, okay. And so she comes and meets. And we get all of our kids. And we lived in a double-wide trailer, which meant our, our bedroom was on one end. And the other, there were three other bedrooms that were all the way on the other end, if you're familiar with this kind of setup. And our kids lived on the other end. Um, so we went and we had young children. Uh, I guess two or three, I don't remember, two, maybe two and a half at that point. And we picked them up, and we snuck them off into our room real quick because we didn't want to be real offensive to her, you know. And we snuck them into our room, and then we showed her her bed. And, uh, and then we was like, and all I remember, she came in, she was so tired. And she, she said, all I need is a bed. And this little lady, I mean, she couldn't have been 80 pounds. And everything, I'm perfect, everything in its place, everything, and this is late night. And she just lays down, on, we open the door, let her in, and she goes over to the bed with nothing, does not do anything to covers, lays on top of the covers, and lays like this, and she's out. You're like, okay. Neither one of us remember seeing her again in the morning. She's like, I'm going to be on my way. And what she would do is, she said she would go through towns and she would find parades. And she'd come through and she would just find her way to get up in the middle of the parade and to begin preaching that Jesus is coming again soon on the bullhorn. And telling people as she crossed the country, people get ready, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming back just like he said he would. I love me, I wish, I wish we'd have had iPhones and I had a picture to go back to. It's the greatest regret of, not actually the greatest regret, but it's the greatest regret of our life to be said in a statement that sounds good. But it really is a really great regret. Man, I wish we had that picture. Here's the thing. To this day, was she an angel? I don't know. Was she a real person? Don't really know. But as I was talking with Callie about this morning, one thing that your mom, she said, I remember she kept a constant tear coming down. Now, there's something about, something about people when, that have lived passionately for the Lord. Not church people. Passionately, fanatically, all in, completely bought, sold out. You can't kill them because they're already dead. They're dead. The world loves Jesus completely. And they are just passionate, been in his word for a, a long time. And, and what happens is, and these are the people that, man, they're full of the word. It doesn't happen overnight, but they've grown in it. And they've been faithful through the years. And their passion has only grown through the years. And what happens is you find that the closer they get to seeing eternity from a different view, the more passionate they also become about wanting other people to know Jesus and about wanting other people to know that he's coming back. You'll find it's always, it happens over and over and over. You can be around people that are more mature in their years, and that's not necessarily the case, but you find people that you know have been walking with the Lord for a long time, it's always consistent. I have, uh, sometimes there's people, and I won't drop names or anything like that, but a guy tell me, he said, I, you know, I don't come to church very often, whenever I do, and he said, she knows me, she always asks me, you know, are you all right with the Lord? I said, that's because she's closer to heaven and she knows how important it is. She does that to everybody. You know, it's like there, there's a pattern of progression and a burn for people to know Jesus. The more 
closely it becomes when you, we know our time is so short. As this, uh, this goes on, so as pastor, it seems to be, though, even though it's the norm, not all, but those who, are, who have been involved in word and prayer and pouring themselves out and serving for a number of years, as they grow in a burning passion for people to be ready for eternity and the surety of the knowledge of the return of Jesus, while simultaneously in our world and in the church at large, there always seems to be a crowd of some who want to label themselves as the church or self-proclaim to, be, to, be, to continue to try to sound really with great educated-sounding sermons and great manners of speech and want to discredit parts of the Word of God while they focus at the same time on helping other people. They have, a, they have a gospel of helps, but yet discredit parts of the Scripture that maybe perhaps challenges the comfort. It challenges their doctrine that they were raised in. It, maybe it challenges their fleshly nature. And they want to discredit the Word of God in parts and, and keep people away from being persuaded by biblical believers that seem a little bit too strange for them a little bit too strange to be acceptable, yet those same people that seem to be a little bit strange seem to have the spiritual fruit that cannot be denied, always overflowing. It's amazing to me. So as pastor, I, I, I don't know, I feel, I'm feeling a little bit more of an important mandate to provide some help and clarity, especially regarding the return of Christ and regarding the return of Christ and how it, what it means uh, even in the context of what we see happening in Israel right now. So in a very bite-sized pieces, we're going to dabble into this. I mean very, very bite-sized. You'll walk away and you're like, that's not impressive, but it'll be true. So can I say, are, are we ready to kind of step a little bit further? This is going to be a teaching day. Can we have a teaching day? Okay, warning. You, there is a warning I need to put as I'm about to turn that heater off. Are y'all hot or is it just me? We've got to move that thermostat. So it looks really awkward, me going over there and changing it and doing all this, but here we go. You're saying, yeah, you're hot? I love it. Awesome. Praise God. But I need to give a warning. As a result of today, there may be a growth in confidence in Jesus. There will likely be today a growth in the confidence of his word, a growth in the confidence of his power in you, and a growth in the confidence. Are you attacking that? You're awesome thing at your anniversary and a confidence in his calling upon you and so with that I want to ask you to turn to Zechariah chapter 14 Zechariah chapter 14 man it's so nice to have a screen today I can't wait till this one this is a little screwdriver problem where you'd have one over here too but it says then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he has fought in times past. Next verse. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. I want to park right there for just a moment. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Let me ask you, would everybody in here, just for illustration's sake, would you stand up? Awesome. Now, look right there under your feet and tell me, what are you standing on? Wood? Boards? 
likely boards, you know, because they're kind of skinny unless you've got some really unique feet that would make the world record book. Now, let me ask you, when you say you're standing on the boards, it just takes a minute to pull off. When, when you say you're standing on the floor, do you mean that literally or like, is that figuratively? You're literally standing. You're not figuratively standing like, I'm standing on the promises. Okay, you can sit down. You can sit down. Let me take you to another scripture, Revelation 3.20. Perhaps you've heard this verse before. It says, look, I stand at the door. This is Jesus speaking to the church. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Uh, let me say, do you think whenever Jesus says that he stands at the door and knocks, is he standing at a literal door? No. It's figuratively. Whether, and sometimes there are things, he, he's, he's standing in Jerusalem literally. He's knocking on the door figuratively. Because he's knocking on the door of your heart. And there's doctors in here and there's been many people that have been through heart surgeries and I bet nobody has ever went in through the door of a heart it's not literal Jesus stands at the door anyone would if Jesus stood at your door and knocked I would think anyone in here would open the door but it's spiritual it's figuratively speaking of a real relationship doors they're everywhere Right? Doors are all over the place. There's multiple doors in here. Mount of Olives, though, one place. It's very specific. So stand is also very specific. On the Mount of Olives, it's very specific. Notice this. Jesus has not come in Zechariah. Jesus has not come to earth even the first time. And his prophecies are already written about his second. Did you know that the Old Testament mentions the return of Jesus? Multiple, multiple, multiple times. In over 17 books of the Old Testament, is mentioned the return of Jesus. Or there's uh, Jesus when he, was, when he was born, when he came to earth and was crucified, he fulfilled 100 and something prophecies. You know what? He still has 200 and something to fulfill that regard his return. I'm not saying they have still to be fulfilled, but uh, over 300 and something prophecies about him and who he is, over 200 of them apply to his second coming, and a hundred of them, a little over a hundred, apply to his first coming. Do you realize Jesus himself declared 50 different times to be ready for his return? The New Testament, in 23 out of 27 books, mentions his return. It is literally one out of 30 verses mentions his return. Did you know that the prophecies of the return of Jesus Many will estimate outnumber his first arrival when you put them all together. His first arrival as a baby, his second return as, as a victorious king, the, the, first or, the second return outnumber the prophecies of the first eight to one. No doubt we are a very cause and effect thinking people. Many think Jesus came and was crucified, and he was crucified because Adam brought sin, right? But that's not true. That would be a cause and effect. 
The plan of the cross, though, came before the event of creation. God is not doing things by cause and effect. He does things according to his perfect plan. And it teaches us in Revelations that before the foundation of the world, Christ was crucified. The lamb, we're going to look at in a minute, was slaughtered, it says, in the New Living. Before the creation. So creation, creation was done. After creation came sin. After sin comes a, a sacrifice of Jesus years down the road. And it seems that it is because of, because of what happened with creation going rogue and introducing sin. So then God came up with a plan B. God doesn't have plan B. He has plan A. And matter of fact, as it applies to you and I, the church is his plan A for reaching the entire world. If we're looking for someone great to rise up, it's not it. You know who's great? You and I. As one person said the other day, says some people, some, many people are missing out on everything because they're thinking they're one in a million when really you're just one in 10 or 11, a part of a team that is doing something great for the kingdom. You know what, when, they're, when you're at the outreach, you're not one in a million. You know what, you're one in 15 who showed up to serve and to reach a neighborhood. And every single one matters. There's 1,800. If I don't get ahead of myself. Revelation 13, 8, where I was referencing. But there's 1,845 different references to the second coming of Many only think that's Revelations. Let me put a little context. There's 1,845 different references throughout the entirety of the Scripture of the Second Coming of Christ. Revelations altogether only has 404 verses total. It's not only Revelations that talks about the return of Christ. So that's where everybody wants to go to immediately. The Second Coming was mentioned in the seventh generation from Adam. Do you remember Adam? He was the first guy on the planet. God made him. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had a son, had children. They weren't real good. One of them killed the other one. They continued to multiply. They continued to grow. And in the New Testament, in Jude, Pastor Todd always talks about studying your Bible, studying your Bible. This is teaching today. In Jude, which if you're in the reading plan, you're, I think it was yesterday we read Jude. Yeah. Yeah, just yesterday we read Jude. Jude you can read in a single day. It doesn't even have two chapters. But in Jude, chapter 14, it talks about a man named Enoch. When you read your Bible, if you're reading back through Chronicles, it said Enoch walked with God and then he was no more. There's something that happened in his life, such an encounter of faith and righteousness that God's like, nope, taking you out. You know, there are, there's other people besides Jesus that, that left the planet. It says Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, listen. The Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones. Verse 15. To execute judgment on the people of the world. And he will convict every person, and we'll pause right here. He will convict every person of their un the ungodly things they have done and for all the insults that the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Really doesn't, it may add too much, but do you want to know what an ungodly sinner looks like? Tell you real quickly. Watch the next verse. These are people who are grumblers and complainers. This is so interesting to me. I'm not just saying like, yeah, grumbling complainer. It's it's not a heritage problem. It's not a this is how I was raised problem. 
It's about have I been born of the Spirit or am I only born in the flesh? It says these people are grumblers and complainers. And I'm not saying we don't have to cast things down. And Pastor Todd preaches all the time, casting down imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Anything I complain about is just exalting itself against the knowledge of God because he is greater. These people are grumblers. It's what ungodly sinners look like, according to the Bible. Grumblers and complainers living only to satisfy their, their desire. You go, yeah. They brag loudly about themselves. Yeah. And they flatter others. See what they want. I thought that was very interesting, that the complainer is the flatterer. Now that I say that, I bet stories go through your head. You're going like, yeah, that person that's always whining and moaning and groaning, but man, I always know when they're trying to butter me up to get something they want. And it's the same. You would think the one that speaks so well would be able to speak so well all the time, but it's always on a selfish motive. So it's like over here, just can't stop grumbling and complaining in our world and our country, and somebody needs to help them. And so like Pastor JT talked about not long ago, so I wish somebody would help them. Somebody needs to do something. Always grumbling and complaining, complaining and grumbling. And then at the same time, hey, man, I've been thinking about you a lot. You know, hey, what do you think about? Would you like to help me out with? It turns to play. You I mean, you've meant so much in my life. I've always said good things about you. You know, the flattering comes around so quick, and you're sitting there going like, all right, what you about to ask for? I just thought that was, I thought that was interesting. Back to first. King is coming. The king is coming back place that he came the very first time. The king, according to Zechariah. The king, according to Jude. The king, according to many other places, will return to Israel. Here's where we get tricky. As a baby, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Thank you. Remember, if, if we miss the knowledge of the second coming, or we disregard the importance of knowing it, here's what will happen. We will begin to develop and disregard, we will begin to develop a gospel contrary to the truth, and we will even teach others the false belief system unintentionally. When we begin to disregard the second coming, or we begin to disregard the importance of knowing about the return of Christ, we easily move over into a false belief system unintentionally and teach others to do the same. The effect is, People will end up missing Jesus because they look for a truth from people they believe have the truth. But they end up disappointed because they follow, they, they search for a truth that does not have the power that people proclaim it has. It's void. The truth of Jesus still sets the captives free. 2 Timothy 3 5 says there will be a day where people are they're claiming the power. They claim, they claim to the power of the gospel, but lack the freedom thereof. So at his ascension, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. At his ascension, Jesus, well, he left from where? Oh, he went to heaven. But yeah, he, he went to heaven, not from heaven. Um, when, he, when Jesus ascended, not descended, when he ascended from the earth after crucifixion, after resurrection, he ascended, he departed from the Mount of Olives. And, you know, and the scripture says, and he will return the same. Acts 1.11 teaches, it says, Men of Galilee, 
You remember this moment? He, they said, the angel showed up and said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Very interesting thing is verse 11. It says they ran into town right there next to the Mount of Olives and began to have a prayer meeting. And then the day of Pentecost came a little bit later. There is a teaching. Why am I building all this? Why am I, why am, I hope this is stacking and making sense. I hope I'm doing some building blocks here. I'm saying all this because I'm very heartbroken about something. I really believe that, you know, while people are looking for a man, a lot of times, you know, every four years, the Antichrist is up for president, right? It's amazing. The Antichrist is, doesn't have to be the American president. I don't know if that's a buzzkill for somebody, but but I don't believe that's the real worry because this you'll recognize. If you're a believer, you'll recognize. You won't be deceived. However, there is a gospel of deception that's still taught by predominant churches that declare Israel no longer matters. I believe the false doctrine will be way more powerful than any one man because it sounds so good and so educated. I've listened to someone, and I'm like, man, I wish I could speak like them. But it's built on a throne of lies. Oh, buddy, the elf says. The teach, it's a teaching in predominant churches that Israel is no longer significant that we are now Israel, figuratively, now in spirit. So Israel no longer matters. Example, remember figuratively and, and, and uh, literally, figuratively, we, we are Israel, Israel is what they say. And let me, let me make a little difference if I can. The body of Christ is very figurative. Me and you, we can stack together like transformers and we don't look like Jesus in the flesh. We don't, we don't add up to the pictures of brown hair and flowing and whichever version. If you, you got black Jesus, Asian Jesus, white Jesus, whatever it is from whatever country you're from, we don't add up to that picture that many people have put out. But when we do his works together and each part is doing its part, it says the body of Christ is revealed. The works of Christ are revealed and he will draw all men unto himself. He is being high and lifted up. Um, a key. A key can be both literal and physical. You have a key to your house. It's very literal. You do not need a figurative key when you're locked out. You need the very literal key. Um, but you know what? You can have learned some keys to success. Not something you carry in your hand. It's some practices and some understandings that you've adapted. Figurative and literal. How will Jesus, here's my question. If we are figurative Israel, how will Jesus stand on the Mount of Olives in me? And how will he begin to take authority with judgment from standing on all of us who believe around the world? How is he going to come and stand inside? Or, or, so are we going to now say, oh, that's figurative too. That's not very literal. He's really not going to come and he's really not going to have judgment. And he's really not going to execute. He's really not going to reign victoriously. It's all figurative because, you know what, Israel is not really literal. It's figurative. So everything else is figurative. So you see, one thing, when you do one lie, just un, you have to unwind a whole bunch of other ones. But specific places are literal. You're in Natchez, Mississippi. Very literal. Today I'm teaching because the matters of Israel are not optional to have our attention. 
It's the highest importance to the heart of the Father. And so Jesus came as a baby, and he brought great grace. But when he returns, he will return in victory, and all judgments will be settled. The king is indeed coming. And here's where I want to land for today. Because the king is indeed coming. For you and I today, in our world, there are so many arguments of what the return of Jesus will be like. Of what will take place when he's come. Will he come before the tribulation, during the tribulation, after the tribulation? If you're thinking he's coming before the tribulation, you're already left behind. Did we not read... Did we not start reading back in, in, the, in the Old Testament where people were being, were being tortured, were being torn apart, where they killed? When Jesus said you killed all the prophets, was that not persecution? When they, when they hung Jesus on the cross, was that not persecution? When they hated him for rising a man from the dead and put a murder plot on him, was it not persecution? When Peter was drugged out and history records, when they finally caught up with him as he was evangelizing through the country, and he said, Dude, they were going to crucify him. And he said, I am not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Turn me upside down on the cross. And they hung him upside down on the cross. Is that not persecution? Is, 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 is any of the, 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 the nations that have a very Muslim domination that make it illegal for Christianity, for China to have communism, and if you are caught actually evangelizing for Jesus, it can be punishable by death? Is that not persecution? Oh, I'm sorry, the tribulation hadn't come yet. It, it works in America. It's a good American gospel. It's a lie. So if it's going to be preacher, we're all left behind. Sorry, we better get right. We wasn't ready. But there are many arguments. Sorry, got on a tangent. For you and I today in the world, there are so many arguments of what the return of Jesus will be like. What will take place when he happens? Can I tell you, it was the exact same way when he came the first time as a baby. It's no different. There are many arguments of what it looked like. The personal wants and the stances of how the Messiah would come as a child is why they crucified Jesus. Because he didn't come like they wanted him to come. And he didn't look like what he, they said he would look like. And he didn't do everything according to the plan that they said he was supposed to follow. But God does not operate by cause and effect. And they thought because Rome was in tyranny over them that he was going to rise up with a sword and chop some heads and handle business and make a government authority. That would be a cause and effect. He doesn't need a plan B. He's got a plan A. I can understand the confusion. It makes sense. It's logical. We want, we want to see a Savior based on our circumstance. But he's not a savior based on our physical circumstance. He's a savior based on our spiritual circumstance. If we live a rescued life and have been pulled out of every physical pit and have been giving lottery ticket of winnings after winnings, if we have the best of everything and we die and go to hell, we still die and go to hell. But you know what? If we are nothing but a poor beggar scraping the dung for quarters a day just to get by to have another food and looking for something to eat out of pig slop and making it, and that's the entirety of our life and go to heaven, you know what? We still go to heaven. It, this life is not the most important, but it makes sense. They wanted to kill Jesus for raising Lazarus from the dead. How twisted can you get? The moment Lazarus was raised from the dead, they began to plot how to kill him because too many people were going to start believing in him. If we hold on to what we call truth, but our truth keeps us bitter, then our truth is not God's truth. If the truth that we hold on to is the truth that makes us bitter towards others, 
not the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is he laid down his life. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died. And he said, go and do the same. The result of false beliefs and teaching then still has effect now. 2,000 years ago. And the result is there are still Jews all over the world today that are still waiting on the Messiah to come. And y'all heard that earlier this year with, uh, whew, I ain't slipped my head, Norma. Miss Norma and, uh, what's her name? You know, he came, the interesting thing about Jesus, though, he came the way, exactly the way that he was prophesied to come. That he'd be born in Bethlehem, that he'd be raised in Naz- Nazareth, that in a time of deep darkness, the light would shine where where the, 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 the man of the land at that time was annihilating, there will be a cry growing throughout the land. Why? Because they slaughtered all the male children that were in Jesus' generation. They were sure the Messiah was coming. Can I say we're sure that he's coming again? The struggle then, though, was we know this, all the signs are only possible with God, but could this really be him? He even said one of the, uh, and some of the scripture says, we know that only, only someone that was sent by God could fulfill the signs that Jesus is doing. But could it really be him? Our lifetime? The struggle today is this. We all know the, the events and the signs are what was prophesied. And only God could have caused these events to line up. But is it really happening? There will be wars. There will be children turning against their parents. There will be a hatred. There will be division. There will be, there will be a, a form of godliness, but denying the power of. There, there will be strange sexuality per, that is growing and blooming up everywhere. There will be so many things. But also, the young men will dream dreams. And the daughters will prophesy, and that's happening as well. And it's like only God could line up all these things. But is it really happening? So what happens often in our flesh is simply to carry a level of surety of the now. We talked about this last week. To carry a level of surety of the now. I know God is in control, so everything is going to be okay. I know God is in control. Praise God, I'm saved. Everything's going to be all right. I don't have to know it all. And we don't have to know it all. We're not going to heaven based on our knowledge of, of where our scripture and chapter are. But you know what? It sure determines the victory we get to live in by knowing the power of his word. If the word became flesh... So when I take in the word, I'm taking in Jesus and dwelt among us, then it makes sense as I take Jesus in. You know what? I'm going to get the power and the authority. It's really just discovering. It's not getting more of Jesus. It's not taking more of him in. It's just me learning to understand more of who I already am in him because of what he's done. Does that get the cart before the horse too much? To carry a level of surety of now, no God's in control and everything will be okay. But yet so often to still the tendency is to avoid the wonder of what though is God really preparing us for? I think that's where we land, every generation in history. If we're gonna live a life that lives beyond our lifetime, if we're gonna get to if we all get to live to a ripe old age, what have you, and we look back, the difference in people who look back and say, Man, I wish I had done differently, and those who look back and say, I'm glad I did is the people who get this right here. I'm not going to avoid the wonder of what is God really doing right now. 
I'm going to lean into the wonder and say, God, you have me here in this season, in this time. What is my part to play? Bring clarity. Help me to, understand, help me to know the things I do not know. Put me in places that I can grow and gain knowledge. You know, help me to under, help, be like the man who was asking for help for his son. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief because I'm twisted and mixed up and it's, my eggs are getting kind of scrambled, but I know your word is true. So help me to discover what is my role? Why did you create me in this time, in this family, in this country, in this tribe, in this area? Why are you allowing me to work with these people and be under these circumstances? What is, what, uh, open my mind to the wonder so that I can see, I'm not, I don't want to live by cause and effect because of what they did. This is what I'm going to do because of how bad they were. This is how much we need to help them because of how bad they were. That's how much I'm going to avoid them or how good they were. That's why I'm going to help them. I don't want any man's cause and effect, but God, what is your plan A? Lean in to the wonder. Make sense? Now lean in to the wonder. Sometimes people ask, say, well, if God, why would God let this? I say, you got to embrace the mystery. If you can't embrace the mystery of God, you'll never, ever really know Him or live the life that He has lined out. Because we're not on the same playing field. He's way above our way. In the days to come, we should ask this question. Why does Israel get attacked yet keep winning? Why is the world that complains and grumbles attempting to flatter me with their sides of why I should be against God's nation? Why, why, why the rallies? Why the protests? Why to say, well, even in there's a church teaching that I listened to recently said there's a difference between um, basically a, a recompense, a, a, a retaliation, and a revenge, and they've gone too far. I'm not advocating anything. I'm not trying to be heartless, but I mean, the cards are on the table. Why are people trying to woo me away from what God says? The apple of his eye that has the first priority with God, whether they believe in him or not. That's not my, that's not my deck of cards to get involved with. All I get involved with is, God, if you're for, I'm for. If you're on, on team A, I'm on team A. That's all that matters. I don't have to, I don't have to give the, the judgment. That's God. So what can happen is, when I avoid the wonder, I can become religiously faithful to what I know to do. I can learn to read my Bible, go to church, do something nice for someone, like not blow my horn when they drive in the left lane at 25 next to the person that obviously has a 25-mile-an-hour governor on their car in a 55-mile-an-hour lane. I can just not blow my horn and look at me being a good Christian. I'm grumbling and complaining. And I can give some presence where I see a need, and I can be religiously faithful to what I know to do based on what I know to do without ever venturing into anything that would require faith to believe Jesus for a miracle ending. And if we live a life of following Christ, that we do not live in the place where miracles are an absolute necessity, man, we're missing the life that God had. Mary started out as a teenager living in this realm. As a teenager, you're going to have a son. It's going to be born of the Holy Spirit. How can this be? 
Oh, this is impossible. No, for what is impossible with man is possible with God, young lady. And the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We learn to live in the land of miracle as followers. And that land of miracle looks different for everybody. But you know what? I may consider what you say is a needed miracle. I'm like, ha, no big deal. You know, what's, what's, like, obvious, duh. That's going to work out. But you know what? I may say things and you do the same thing to me because of where you've been and what you've seen God do. We learn, we believe at greater levels the more we believe at each level. Can I say this? You are made to believe God for the impossible. You are made to act on that belief. If we live any less, we will be miserable, we will be frustrated because we will listen to the teachings of a faith in God that in trueness we do not believe. So if I do not see the foundational important fact of Jesus returning to Israel in a very literal sense, to the nation and the people that are first in his heart, then now every other scripture is also up to discredit because of how I feel. When the second coming is not important, then his presence today becomes understood only from my selfish view. When I do not see the importance of Israel as it pertains to the heart of the Father, when every event is viewed only through the views of politics, well, everything's corrupt. Well, the Queen of England's really controlling all that. Well, the Illuminati's controlling all that. Whatever, whatever, whatever conspiracy circle you want to be in, Britain's behind all of that. I don't, know, I don't know how all that works out, and I really don't understand that, so I'm not even going to try. If we stay in that lane and say, well, it doesn't really even affect me. When we embrace those stances, we're choosing a position of not wanting to know the God who was, the God who is, and the God who always will be. Victoria, mighty God, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And it's not figurative, it's very literal. He is mighty, he is valiant, he is a warrior for his nation. But you know what? As a follower of Christ, as a follower of Christ, you are grafted into that as well. And you are grafted into the promises and the blessings of God. And so that you know what? He is mighty and he is victorious. And he is valiant on your behalf just as well. Before, this is interesting, Genesis 12. It all goes back to Abraham. Abraham was the father of Abraham, father of Isaac, father of Jacob, who became Israel. Abraham was given a promise. Go from here. Everywhere that your feet touches, I have given you. After this promise, he says, and you'll be a blessing to many nations, and those who bless you, I will bless. You know the promise of land came before the promise of the blessing. The promise of a defined, literal thing before the promise of something that could be very broad. Interesting. We will miss the true power of the cross and the resurrection in the midst of the true power of the Holy Spirit today and the powerful return of our Savior by living a, it doesn't affect me I can't figure it out life we miss knowing of Jesus who can send the Holy Spirit 
and who can fill every single person with all knowledge and all power and all wisdom. And I love Hebrews chapter 4 says, and is able to save even unto the uttermost those who call upon him. I don't know where you were, you know what, if you're, if you're a follower of Christ, I don't know where you were whenever Christ found you. But if he was looking for the guttermost, he took a wrong time. If he was looking for uttermost, he took a long time and found me at guttermost at that point in my life, if I can be honest. I wasn't looking for him, but evidently he was looking for me. Does anybody else have that testimony? I love it. I love it. That, that the Holy Spirit rose to and forth throughout the earth, and not just looking for those who are looking for him, but are just looking to grab the attention and putting a burning bush sometimes in the way and putting a person in the way and putting a situation in the way just so, to see. It says, you know what? I know you're not looking for me, and it's another normal day in your life, but if you'll pause for just a moment, I'm doing everything I can to capture your attention. I'm so glad he is faithful, but you know what? He's not only faithful in that way. He is also faithful to answer those who give him. He's also faithful to, to be met by those who diligently seek him. Man, I don't know where everything is going. I, I don't understand how every single detail of life is going to work out, but here's what I do know. That the Son came to earth to seek and save those who are lost. And he did it. Did it. And he put a mandate on you and I to do the same. But just as the promise of that is true, the promise of his, behold, I'm coming back, is equally true. And so we don't discredit one to focus on the other. We take in the whole gospel. Does that make sense? So when, if you hear somebody, and man, I so want to name drop, but I didn't think I was supposed to yet. Because I don't want to seem anti-anything. in a mean way. But pay attention to things being said. Because even the church, not every church, not the church, but predominant is teaching this. We're not greater. We're a flea on the dog, man. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're a small piece of this whole Joseph ran along the yard about a mile from Olive Park. Quiet boy, he never had much to say. It was love right from the start. Bought a ring and one Mary's heart. Had hopes for a home and kids someday. Kids someday. Jesus, we want to always be called favoring favoring. You desire all men to be saved. All men, women, children, all people to be saved. We never want to discredit that. If somebody's going to stand against somebody, you're the only one that has that right. We, we don't. We just submit ourselves as servants under your authority under your care, under your lordship. We say, Jesus, 
May our hearts burn for the things that you're passionate about. May our eyes be captivated and desire the things you desire. May we be so foundational in your truth that when people come close, they experience you. We know not only does every word you say come true, but anything you ask for, you declare, you pray, comes true. Let me ask you this. Do you, let me ask you. Do you believe that do you believe that God loves Jesus? Hand raised women. We're going somewhere on this. I'm gonna help somebody. Liberty's coming. I didn't learn this. I was taught this, what I'm about to say. Do you believe that as Jesus prays, God answers Jesus' prayer? Because God loves the Son. You believe that according to Hebrews, we get to go boldly to the throne. Because of Jesus. It says we have a relationship with the Father because of what Christ has done. So I got a prayer for you today. And here's a prayer. If God loves his son, if God would answer the prayer, Jesus is our intercessor. Holy Spirit's going to intercede with groaning so much work. We can pray audacious things like this. We can get off of the, the worrisome, and we can begin to pray things that will answer all things. And it is this. Jesus, would you ask your Father to help me to love you like he loves you? And then my heart will burn for what your heart burns for. My thoughts will be curated to what your thoughts are. My faith will be at the faith of what you can, that you can do the impossible in any situation. If you would love to see God answer that prayer, would you pray with me today? Say, Lord Jesus, would you ask your Father to help me love you like he loves you? I thank you for this. May my heart prioritize what is important to you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Um, two teachery today? No? Okay. All right. Praise God. Because Pastor Powell will come next week and he makes everything simple and understandable to everybody. So uh, come back next week and then it's going to be Christmas. And then it's the new year. I got to tell you, can I tell you something really neat about the new year? We're going to do a couple things in the new year. Some of this being new to you, to some, what I'm about to say will be new to everybody. So to some, every year at the first of the year, we do 21 days of prayer and fast. 21 days. Prayer and fast, seeking the heart of God. And uh, for the year, for the direction, we see that the Lord prove faithful in that. We've done it different ways. Some we've done worship nights every night. We won't do that this year. We're talking about every Sunday night, possibly over that. Um, but, however, at the end of... 21 days of prayer and fasting, so fasting, think of no food, you know, um, you do get hungry. That's the beautiful part about fasting. Um, but we seek the heart of the Father, let the Jesus be the focus over the, the food. And so, and fasting for you may be from all sodas. It may be from, you know, a Daniel fast. It may be 
you know what, I'm not going to have meats and sweets. I'm going to go on like this kind of veganing, no thrills, food, splurge, whatever. Um, ask not to make it too interesting. Let Jesus be interesting and let that be tolerable. Uh, but, you know, it could be, you know, to, we don't mandate. We just ask, you know, a, a form of sacrifice, of giving up. So it'll be 21 days prayer and fasting, and we'll be in the Word. And um, after the 21 days of prayer and fasting for the men, uh, we're going to a men's retreat, a men's conference. I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to say retreat. Conference in, uh, in Dry Creek, Louisiana. Uh, it's put on, it's like four, maybe five of us. I can't remember. I, I think it's four churches of us working together. I'm trying to remember all the names at the table when we meet. But uh, four together. And uh, so, you know what would be beautiful? It, ha- it begins on the day that fasting ends. So you can come and eat. It would be awesome. Um, so, and here's the last thing. We're going to, if you've been on the, the McShane Bible reading plan this year, praise God, you're almost done. You've almost read through the entire Bible once and actually the New Testament twice. You're finishing up the New Testament for the second time. Awesome. But we're going to shift gears next. And, uh, and I'll unveil the plan to you, but it is a chronological Bible plan. So we're going to read through the Bible together as a church, as it happened, as it was revealed. And each day there's about a, most days there's a 30-second, uh, minute-and-a-half uh, video devotional that goes with it every single day. So it kind of helps kickstart things. At the beginning of every new book, there's about a three-minute a uh, little blurb deal that explains what that whole book is about to be about. But we'll, you'll find yourself jumping all over the Bible because we're going to do it chronologically. So if you read your Bible, it's like this in time-wise. It's all jumbled up. But we're going to read it as it happens. Is that good? Awesome, awesome, awesome. So there's what we're looking forward to. Looking forward to growing together, being strong together, growing in the Word together, men rising up, valiant together. Men, if you sign up, you pay your 72 bucks. If you're married, your wife will probably hug you a little tighter already before Christmas, and uh, it'll be a win, and we hope you all have a blessed day. We can do anything for you. We shall uh, see you soon, and uh, Wednesday night is coming, and salvations are coming. In Jesus' name.